The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. A word of warning, this episode may contain some language that you find offensive. Hello and welcome to the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between generations, from baby boomers to Generation X, Y, and Z, and maybe everyone in between. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster, most recently NBC Chicago for the past 17 years. And I'm Jason Kanander, contributing writing for various websites, including Minor League Ball and fan-sided busting brackets into Windy City. And I'm in high school. All right. We don't always get along. We are mother and son, but we do have a love of sports, which tends to bridge the gap between us. With this podcast, we try to cross over the generations and discuss sports from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In this episode, the N-word in sports, if you use it, it just may get you kicked out of a game. But why? Exactly who is offended? And over time, do some words like the N-word lose their power? First, our look back. 47 years ago, May of 1972 to be exact, in Santa Monica, where comedian George Carlin was doing a very famous live show for his class clown comedy album. He recited the seven dirty words you can never say on television. Sometimes, well, hell yeah. Sometimes it's okay, but not all the time. That's, and they're the only words that seem to have that restriction. I mean, there are a lot of words you can say whenever you want, you know. Pneumonia! Nobody gives you a lot of... All right, you can't yell it in the hospital a great deal, but what the hell. But there are some words that you can go to jail for. I'm not going to say them for the sake of our audience and considering that, Jason, you are only 16 years old. Huh. I know. Well, it's my choice not to say them. Even though I'm pretty sure you have heard them. Think. You've used them. Yep. Some of them, at least, right? There are some words that we just have decided we will not say all the time. Sometimes, okay, you know what I mean. It's just like we've decided there'd be some words we won't say all the time. And I was just trying to find out which words they were. For sure, all of them. I wanted a list. Because nobody gives you a list. That's the problem. They don't give you a list. Wouldn't you think it'd be normal if they didn't want you to say something to tell you what it is? Nobody even tells you when you're a kid what the words are that you're supposed to avoid. You have to say them to find out which ones they are. All right, Jason, what's your reaction? Well, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I find them all very funny. Um, what? They were called the seven words you'll never hear on television, but I like to call them the seven words that you're going to hear every time you sit down at a table in school. Um, Come on, yeah. not all of them. Um, just about. These are words that you know I hear every day. They don't. They're not really offensive. They're not things that like you say or that you should say. Like that's not really how you sh- how you can showcase your manners. But at the end of the day, it's like I don't think anybody's gonna be like you're not gonna be losing any friends if you use one of those seven words. Okay, so you're not gonna be losing any friends. But is it? okay to use it in public it's okay to use it around your friends but is it okay to use any of them in public so i know that some of my teachers and administrators are listening so i'm gonna have to be a little careful okay um but in most public areas i don't think it's okay um you know there's a time and place for everything right most of the time you shouldn't be swearing 
um, especially not around women and children. <laughs> but, you know, like when you're with your friends, like nobody's going to be like getting all stuck up about you saying the F word. Well, and that, it's interesting you brought up the F word because that's the one that I think it's lost its effect. You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, um, people would get really upset if they heard someone use the F word. I, I remember Grandpa Poppy, my, my dad, 25 years ago was very offended. We were at a family party and a friend of one of my brothers actually used it. And my dad became very enraged. He thought it was wrong to use that kind of language in front of women. He was very, very upset. Now I say it. I mean, same with SH. I mean, I say, you've heard me say it at home, but am I going to say it at work? No. Right? Right. And I mean, in today's day and age, everyone's under a microscope, especially on social media. So I personally, like when I'm on Twitter or Instagram, um, I try not to swear because everything that you say can be tracked to you. Mm -hmm. But it's a completely different story at home. Um, Well, maybe not as much at home. But like, you know, when I'm with my friends, when I'm by myself, I mean, those, those words are just, I mean, it sounds bad to say that they're part of my vocabulary but I mean some of the words on here are words that I would never say right but you know the word that starts with F the word that starts with with SH yeah the word that starts with M yeah MF yeah yeah Uh, those are words that you know I don't really think twice before using them at times and however wrong that sounds that's just I think that's just kind of our society today yeah people don't really care as much you're right I think some words just lose their their uh, you know, at, over time and as they come into our everyday usage, um, they lose their power. But some words you still cringe at, like the C word. I hate it. I cringe Absolutely. at it. I, I, I just don't like it. And I think the other thing, Jason, that really sets swear words apart are the ones when you are calling someone it. When you like when you use a swear word in frustration, it's People right. get yeah, it. Yeah, people understand you're accepted. that. You know, it's like, okay. But when you're calling somebody one of those yes. seven words, that's when it's kind of like. Yes, because you're directing it's not necessary. it at them. It's not necessary. And I've said, I think, two or three times already, there's a time and a place. And, you know, if someone really ticks you off, then I'm sure that I'm sure that there are times where it's appropriate. But these aren't words that, you know, you like if you're mad at someone, there are different ways to express your anger. There are different words of less magnitude that you can use. Um, those seven words from here are just words that, I mean, some people say out of anger. Some people say try to be funny. Um, yeah, it's really not that deep to me. It's probably a lot more deep to you. Um, but my generation doesn't really care as much about swearing, at least in the way I look at it. And it, it just doesn't carry as deep a meaning as it seemed to have meant 40 some years ago. Well, you said it. Words do have meanings. And that's what I think is is important here. And I always said to you and your brother, um, I haven't said it to your sister yet because she's only 10 years old, but I always say to you, all right, I get why you're using these words, but you're you're smarter than that. Right. Yeah, you're smarter than that. Come up with something that's that's better than that. This brings us to the topic of Tim Anderson from the Chicago White Sox using the N-word. Jason, explain what happened. So, I believe about a month ago in a game against the Kansas City Royals, Tim Anderson hit a ball to the moon, um, stood and flipped his bat to the White Sox dugout. Um, wasn't really even to show up the Royals. It was more of just kind of to get the team pumped because if you've ever watched the Chicago White Sox, you know that's a team that needs to be pumped up. Right. Um, and 
about two innings later, Anderson came up again, and Brad Keller of the Royals hit him on the first pitch. Completely unsurprising. Um, it's common knowledge in baseball that if you're going to flip your bat, you're going to get thrown at. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reaction was the surprising part. So Tim Anderson gets hit, um, and we didn't know it at the time, but apparently what he had yelled towards Brad Keller was he called him something like uh, it, it was some mixture of the words like start with P and F and the N word um, was the, obviously the biggest one that was in there. Right. Um, and that's why he was ejected from the game. Watching the game live, nobody knew why he was ejected. I mean, the backlash on Twitter was was incredible to me. Um, everybody just absolutely clueless. And then when this surfaced a day or two later, um, it really wasn't that surprising. That's why he got ejected. I know that the NFL is banned using the word. Um, couple other professional sports leagues have banned using the word so obviously with the lower number of african-american players in major league baseball the word is not as much of a topic more so than it is in football or basketball Mm -hmm. but what the what sparked the debate was that anderson who is black used the word towards keller who is white so it shouldn't have been offensive to keller because that's not a word that doesn't have really any Deep meaning to him. Deep meaning to him. Well, that's why we need someone. You and I are both white, obviously, so that's why we need to bring someone in who can help explain to us and maybe to everybody else that watches sports, plays sports, governs sports, coaches, athletic directors, teachers, how do we handle this? How how are we supposed to talk about this, the use of the N-word, and is it something that should be legislated by leagues? Let's bring in somebody who can definitely talk about this a little bit better than uh, you and I, Jason. Dr. Neil Lester is a founding director of an award-winning Project Humanities at Arizona State University. It's this incredible initiative that they have started there. He is foundation professor of English. And uh, Dr. Lester joins us now from Arizona. Thank you for taking the time, Dr. Lester. This is not an easy topic for us to address, but it's an important one, right? It certainly is, and thank you for inviting me. Well, it's important for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is it's about language, it's about words, it's how we think, it's how we act, it's how the words reflect how we think and act. So for that broader reason, we should always be thinking and talking about language. So I'm glad to be part of a conversation. Let me tell you what this White Sox uh, baseball player, we gave a little background on his suspension for using the N-word. And many players in baseball, in his own clubhouse and across baseball, came to his defense. And they said uh, it's it's middle-aged white men telling everybody else what to do in baseball. And to be suspended, uh, a black man... For using the N-word after a white pitcher hit him with a pitch is absolutely hilarious. Now, I know you don't want to tell us what we should do or what we shouldn't do, but a reaction like that is confusing to a lot of people. Why are we so confused by the reaction of the use of this word? Well, let's let's clarify, because some of of what's used to contextualize this has to be... uh, specified very, very clearly. We, we are talking about a word that has a particular history with a particular group of racialized people, historically and in the present. So 
I'd also want to clarify who the we are, who's confused, because there are, there are people intergenerationally confused, there are people who are racially confused, and what they're confused about, I think, is the fact that because we've had 30-plus years of hip-hop, there's this understanding that a word has been reclaimed and has been perfumed and made to somehow not be soaked in the history of violence that's associated with one group against the other. So I think there's confusion there. There's also confusion relative to that, that that, that the word is, in fact, this quote-unquote term of endearment. So, Jason, you'll have to speak to that, since I hear a lot of people uh, in your age demographic, and certainly younger than my age, who have who insist upon this as a term of endearment. But in that context, as I'm hearing you describe it, it was not using that as a term of endearment. Is that correct? Correct. It, it, so, it, it was like a so, directed right. at them. So that challenges mm-hmm. this notion that, oh, I can, and, and it doesn't really matter how it was spelled either. Because if you've got to listen and do this sort of choreography, did he use it with a GA? Did he use it with an ER? How did he use it? That to me is beside the point. The point is that the root word of that is the same, and he used it exactly as he meant it. So for me, that's really complicated because it gets back to why is it that black people, and it is gendered also, black males, men, somehow feel that this is a word that they have taken ownership of when historically this was not a word that black people could own because it was assigned them. So so I don't know who's... The, the confusion is not really confusion from my perspective. It's disagreement mm-hmm. with some of the historical evidence that's out there. That's very different. Nobody that I've come into contact with, having taught the class, lectured, published on it, is really that confused. They may be unaware, but they certainly disagree with what I lay out as evidence or receipts for my perspective on this. So, Dr. Lester, you talked about how... Um, my generation kind of views it more as a term of endearment. I completely agree with that. Um, in my opinion, what I see as a high school student is um, a lot of the reason behind that is hip-hop music. It's not used mm-hmm. as a negative term. It's not used as like a target word almost. It's mm-hmm. used in more of like a, I, I, I don't really know how to describe more of like a, like a positive, like a, like a, like a word, like just to like say it. I, I, it's like, hey, friend. Exactly, exactly. Right, right. that's how so, I've heard it. It's not like, hey, friend, though. That's right, exactly. There's no word that's comparable to that. So if, you, if it's like, hey, friend, then why are you not using it, hey, friend? Exactly. And you can't get an inward pass because nobody can give it to you. And they can't give you an inward pass because there's a history that you also are not connected to uh, generationally. And I keep saying this is 30 years of hip-hop and N.W.A. and Kendrick Lamar mm-hmm. and Tupac and... All these men, again, black men, who have embraced a word that's primarily geared toward your generation and young white men like you, Jason, because you are the primary consumption of this music. Exactly right. right. So, so if, in fact, that's the reality, that to me is a layer that critically needs to be teased back. You know, there is something historically also where uh, black people, and I'll use this relative to W.E.B. Du Bois's Souls of Black Folks, he calls something double consciousness. It's the way in which black people who have been treated uh, horribly in this country, both past and present, uh, can internalize stereotypes and negativity about themselves. Women and girls can do that relative to patriarchal ideas also. We somehow respect 
white people more than we do people who look like us as black people, women who will will be harder on other women and girls than they are on men because they somehow see men as the authority. So there are ways in which we internalize that. And if we want to take this even further into this term of endearment, I just draw your attention to the ways in which owners of people who were slaves thought of their slaves endearingly. In fact, they referred to them as, how's my N-word today? And you'd have somebody like Frederick Douglass saying, oh, I'm, I'm fine, Massa, I'm fine. So we treat pets endearingly. So mm. the fact that this is some like, if it's like friend, if it's like brother, why are we not using that? That is not laced with all the violence and is still laced with it today. So if we could somehow take that and put that past on the shelf and say that black people in this particular case are not treated unfairly, there's not educational inequities, um, uh, achievement gaps, et cetera, et cetera, then we could somehow say, well, yes, we've moved past that and we've taken something back. But I use the word of Toni Morrison, the author, who says, definitions belong to the definers, not to the defined. And there's nothing in the history that I'm aware of that says black people gave that to themselves. And I know what Kendrick Lamar has said about NEGUS. Kendrick Lamar is probably the only person who subscribes to that theory. And even that theory is patriarchal. It does not take into account women and girls. And Tupac has an acronym for it that probably two people on the planet can recite. But that is not how that young man on the baseball team used it, nor is it how other people use it when they're angry and upset Mm -hmm. with other people, whether they're black or white. So that, to me, there's no history like that with the B word. There's no history like that with the F word. There's no history like that with the P word. There's no history like that with any other word. So if it's like friend, if it's like brother, then why are we not using that? So explain to me what I'm interested in is the deeper history of the word, because being in high school, um, last year especially, my history, my history class was called American Studies, and we learned about the Civil War, and we learned about the Civil mm-hmm. Rights Movement, and obviously mm-hmm. the word played a very big role in both, but the right. way that we were taught it was in a kind of like, it was stepped around. Mm-hmm. Um, our school, I think, is very uncomfortable teaching us about things of that manner. Mm-hmm. I think that the class would have been uncomfortable anyway. I don't think that our class had a level of maturity to handle it, first of all. Uh, but I, the thing that I see as a high schooler is the word is almost viewed at as an inappropriate subject. And it is. It is in just about every setting. But I still think that it's well, worth talking about yeah. in the classroom because people like me... I don't understand the the history all the right. way to its roots because we were never offered the opportunity to learn about it. They they, they probably blurred out the signs during the civil rights marches that, right. that said mm-hmm. anything like that because that's typically what we would get in our classes. Mm-hmm. The blur mm-hmm. so we really don't feel the real effect of the history mm-hmm. of it. So and, and I I've actually heard a lot of um baseball players and and say, well, maybe we need to educate more. Maybe instead of suspending people in professional sports for using it, you know, mm-hmm. we teach them, we educate them. It can't just be an excuse for the 20-something-year-olds that, you know, it's ignorance then. So, Well, but, but it doesn't have to be an either-or, though. I think if there are going to be consequences, and I would look at this in the context of some other uh, legal cases, a couple that I'm aware of, one at Alabama State, and there's another one in New York, and then another one in actually Hackensack, New, uh, New Jersey, where 
it was black on black use of the word, one walked up to a person and said, oh, hey, I'm going to introduce myself. I'm the head, you know, N-word. And the other person who was African-American was offended by that. Mm-hmm. As would I be offended by that mm-hmm. when somebody walks up. And I want to move this beyond personal offense, though. But I'm bothered by that when somebody assumes that they can name me something that is not my name. So this is not just a black-white thing. This is also a black-black thing. The NAACP, for example, has tried to bury it symbolically. That can't work because it lives in our very American fabric. We've also had campaigns to get rid of the N-word. So there are ways in which the history needs to be discussed, but it also is one of those things when you say, we haven't discussed it, that I'm wondering who the we are. Mm -hmm. Because there are black people that I know have had to talk about race and have had to talk about the N-word because their young kids came home being called that. So the people who haven't had to talk about it are the people who have the privilege of not talking about race. Mm-hmm. So you, we can't use that as an across-the-board way of saying we are just, you know, should we have the conversation? We should always be having conversations. What to me complicates this is the fact that the hip-hop that allegedly is driving people to say stuff over which they have no control, apparently, that it's also laced with misogyny. Yes. It's also laced with homophobia. So are these messages being absorbed also? That's what I ask. And for those teachers who, you know, I found the other part of this is that white teachers tend to fetishize the word. So if we're teaching Huckleberry Finn or if we're teaching... um, That's exactly what it was for us last year. To kill a mockingbird, they make the whole text about that. And that seems reductive, and it also seems unfair to the authors and those who are really engaged in literary study. So it is a word It is a word that symbolizes and signifies so much more than the six letters. But if we go back to minstrel song, um, Jason, if we go back to uh, slave narratives, if we go back to, um, uh, well, historical documents that show that the spelling of that word is consistent with what people claim they've taken back and changed it. And think about this. The root of that word is the same. So whether you spell mm-hmm. it with a G-A or a G-E-R, it is the same. And in fact, in 2012, when uh, then-President Obama was uh, was going to be reelected, one of the um, T-shirts and decals read 2012, don't R-E-N-I-G. And so that wasn't necessarily a misspelling of renege. It was a play on the N-word. So... That hasn't changed. So when people are talking about spelling and choreography, the gendered way in which people are trying to hold on to this, then to me it's much deeper. And I'll say it's very similar to those who were enslaved often talked about how, you know, who had the better master. Mm. Well, that's a very pathetic conversation to have if you're both being owned. And I think when we talk about this being used as a term of endearment, I also say that it's not just restricted to sort of intergenerational difference, because I know a lot of high school students who are doing spoken word pieces, who are talking specifically about language, and who are using the N-word to say this is not something that we should be defined by um, relative to just because some people who are making a lot of money, Jay-Z, on using this word in rap because it's certain it, it signifies a certain cool factor right to those who don't see themselves as cool 
Dr. Lester, one of the teammates in the White Sox uh, clubhouse who is white, a pitcher, Lucas Giolito, uh, told one um, told the athletic.com, uh, quote, given Timmy's circumstances, who he is, how he grew up, I think that the word he said in the context that he said it isn't the same as someone else saying it. So that's pretty much my view on it. Again, agreeing that you know, nothing should have happened from it. But what I hear from coaches is they are really conflicted on how to handle it because they some people tell them you're supposed to uh, give a player a pass for using it because of where he grew up. Others want to instill discipline and smarter thinking and think before you do things. And this is all right. part of it. Think before you say right. something. So right. there's a well, lot of confusion on that part from coaches and those around sports as well as to how to handle it. Well, but I would still go back to if you're considering your baseball field and the game as a workplace, then you decide what language and what behavior will be tolerated and that which will not be tolerated. What they say outside of the baseball field and that space is up to them. But if you have certain rules and policies about your workplace, then I don't think it should be relegated to where one comes from. Because habits that one absorbs can be good habits or bad habits. And what we learn, we can also unlearn. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm not sure that that's a reason for confusion either. And keep in mind, this is my guess is this is probably um, mostly white people who are confused. Yeah, right. So that we have to name that. Right. We have to name that and not sort of by default make it, we have to figure out what the race is. Because my guess, Jason, I don't know, are you in a predominantly white school? Y- yes uh, and no. Yeah. Um, okay. I grew up in the mean, suburbs. Yes <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. So I grew up in the suburbs. Um, in fact, in my middle school, I think that we had one black student. So right. my, my middle school was all white. And then I get to right. high school, and I believe it's about 60 It's about 40%, 60, yeah, 65% white. Yeah. white. Um, but okay. it, there's a lot more okay. diversity than middle school, for sure. Well, but, but the point, again, is that these are predominantly white spaces. Mm-hmm. So predominantly white spaces would be very fragile when it comes to talking about race. Mm-hmm. And right. so for me, the reality is that white people need to start talking about race and understanding the extent to which it affects everybody. Um, and this is certainly a start, but it's it's one of those things where, and, and even the black people who are in those spaces don't always understand either. And part of that is because, you know, people don't stop and Google this and people don't, you know, we sort of absorb what is easiest and fastest for us to absorb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been one of those who have been trying to do the work. I've you know, created the class, taught on it, lectured on it, doing interviews on it. And I'm essentially saying the same thing, but it's the same way in which I'm encouraging those who are allies, those white allies, those uh, straight allies, those uh, able-bodied allies to take up the cause of those who are out there doing the work to try to educate so that we all become part of our own education and not just relying on others. So I said all that to say there's a responsibility that teachers have to go into uncomfortable places as long as they are appropriately equipped themselves. Mm -hmm. If they haven't self-assessed their own attitudes about race, then they can't go in and shouldn't be trusted to go in and talk about it. On the other hand, I wouldn't rely entirely on someone of color to quote-unquote educate you 
not you, but educate anybody solely based on one person's perspective. So I challenge any of my audiences, anybody who's reading the stuff that I'm doing, to go look at what I've thrown out there and check it out. You know, check it out to see if it's if it makes sense to you. Absolutely. So it's the Project I Humanities Initiative at Arizona State University. Uh, Dr. Lester, finally, let me just ask you this. Why, sure. why is it that the F word over time has lost its power? And now I know it's because it um, describes an act as opposed to being used in a um, uh, horribly hateful, degrading, insulting way um, like mm-hmm. the N word. But the F word uh-huh. has lost power over the last 30 years. Will that ever happen with the N word? Will it ever become well, where it's it, it's 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 just a word that doesn't offend people? Well, those are those are apples and oranges because the N word is about an identity. The F word is not about an identity. Mm-hmm. And the identity of the people most associated with that who have been used negatively, the reality of their existence has not changed significantly. So it does the N word is not about how one is treated, it's not about one's age, it's not about one's sexual identity. It's not about anything except the fact that this can be used as a toxic nuclear bomb. So there are ways in which, you know, I am the first one, a study language, who looks at the way in which black people in particular have taken words and done all kinds of incredible things with it. Michael Jackson did it with, you know, made a bad good. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can change fat, F-A-T, to make it P-H-A-T. We can take ableist words like stupid and make that a good word. But those are not those are not individuals. Those are not human identities. Those are adjectives. This word, the N-word, has been used as an adjective. It can be used as an adverb. It can be used as all kinds of things. And these are about identities that have still been fixed in the American imagination, politically, historically, socially. So to compare the F-word, and I would even say the B-word doesn't have the same uh, historical baggage either. That's gendered. The N-word is an equal opportunity epithet. So there is no other word like that in the English language. And uh, that is not to say that there are not other epithets, but there is nothing like this word has been used. I mean, there are ways in which other people can wear this, too. You don't have to necessarily be black, as you just demonstrated. Mm -hmm. But it shows the... And I don't want to say confusion. I would say the ignorance and the unawareness rather than confusion. And oftentimes what I hear masked as confusion is disagreement because people assume that there's a double standard there. Right. And I have to borrow from anti-racism, you know, activist Tim Wise, who says, well, so is our American history. Our American history is a double standard. Now what? Right. You know, all people are saying is think about your language, think about what comes out of your mouth. Are you being controlled by the words? Or are you controlling the word? And anything that you can learn, you can unlearn. And can't we just take our mom's advice? <laughs> and if it's offensive to somebody, just don't say <laughs> it. Well, but I would move beyond offensive, though, because offensive yeah. can be really personalized. Yeah, and that's, that's why true. I've changed my life. I'm not offended by it. I'm, I'm concerned when I hear people using language. You know, I say that about these, these cuss words. I'm not a person who cusses. I don't surround my people with people who cuss. And even when my adult kids do it, I ask them not to do it in my presence. 
So there are ways in which I'm not controlling what they say. I'm just asking them to be more mindful of respecting what I'm asking. I don't do it in front of you, so I don't want you to do it in front of me. What those folks do as baseball players outside of the baseball workspace seems up to them. But if they're in workspace, then they have to be respectful of the policy, and there shouldn't be any tipping around talking about identity and what people are led. I mean, are you going to let people beat up people because they witnessed domestic violence in their homes? Right. I mean, there are ways in which those things need to be taken to a deeper critical level to figure out either we care about this, would we have people talking about women in disparaging ways? And the answer is yes. We call that locker room language. But I would also take issue with that as well. So there needs to be all kinds of things that boys need to think about relative to what we say in a society where women are treated so unfairly and there's such disparaging ways that we dehumanize, and I say the same thing can be applied racially. Dr. Lester, it is such a a, a complicated topic, but I cannot thank you enough for helping us out and navigate our way through it. It it really does help us out, and we will definitely check out uh, the Arizona State University Initiative, Project Humanities. Um, Thank you again, and uh, hopefully we don't have to talk soon. Well, thank you both, too, for navigating this, and it does take courage to do it, and I appreciate the opportunity to share some some humble thoughts on the idea. So thank you again, and good luck, Jason, uh, as you navigate this, because it's important for everybody. Language matters. Words matter. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Lester. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, wow, that's a lot to think about. Um, Jason, let's lighten it up a little bit, and what do we have to look forward to? Okay, so my three predictions. um, Got about three weeks before finals. (laughs) So I am going to predict that um, I finish out the semester strong. I want to be thinking happy thoughts going into the home stretch of the school year. Um, Could be wrong, but, you know, have the right mentality, and hopefully everything works out. Uh, my second prediction is obviously more of a sports prediction. Uh, NBA playoffs continue to progress. I think that the finals winner comes out of the Eastern Conference for the first time in a long time this year. I don't know who it's going to be yet. We have two Game 7s coming up tomorrow. So it's anybody's guess, whether it's Philly, Toronto, or Milwaukee. But I like the Eastern Conference this year. Um, my third and final prediction um, I think we're going to have some nice weather coming up. It's been very cold the last <laughs> few weeks. Yes. Um, I think that we have one more cold week in us, and then it's going to get nicer out. And if anybody that works at Ignatius is listening to this, please, 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 please give us relaxed dress code back. Oh, gosh. I'm dying to wear shorts in school, and I would want nothing more than to be able to wear shorts for my last two weeks as a junior. Thank you. Okay. And finally, let's end on this. Words do have meaning. We used to say to our kids when they would get bullied, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt you. That's not true. It's supposed to make us feel better that they're only words. But the reality is words can hurt you, depending on how you use it and what the history of the word is. Are you directing it at someone? That can make any word bad. Is it racial? Is it homophobic? Is it cultural? In 1962, comedian Lenny Bruce was arrested at a Chicago theater for using the F word. George Carlin was at that show. He wanted to point out to society that they're too stuck up, too proper. So that's why he came up with the seven dirty words. 
Carlin was then arrested in Milwaukee for performing those seven dirty words because they were considered obscenities in public. Now, 50 years later, we are still arguing what used to be called political correctness. But now we're putting more thought behind the argument. Do you take away the power of these words so that they fade away? Or do you educate people on why they hurt and sting so bad? In 2019, you still can't use obscene language and most profanities in broadcasting. The rule is at least not until 10 p.m. when children are safely in bed. So maybe we can all agree. Words hurt. Use good manners. Know your audience, especially at a sporting event. Unless, of course, the game goes into extra innings, it's after 10 o'clock and you have to get up early, then you can just say, oh, what the f***? Our thanks to Dr. Neil Lester, part of the award-winning initiative at Arizona State University, Project Humanities. Please check it out online. He is the Foundation Professor of English at Arizona State University. We thank George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words from his Class Clown album. Adam Yaffe for his support and expertise in driving the show. Artwork and logo is designed by Shay Canander. The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, electrically connecting our world. Subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscaster and Her Son, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and thesportscasterandherson.com. And you can find my stories on Fansided and my mom's on NBCChicago.com. See you later, everyone. Thank you for listening. So the words, as I say, shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, tits, fart, turd, and twat. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, The Sportscaster and Her Son. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out my stories on NBCChicago.com. And Jason, where are your stories? Fansided. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.